I like my area in Southern Colorado because it's over the counter for archery. So that makes it really nice. And we don't really have to deal with a whole lot of the preference point situations. Our bears over the counter, turkeys over the counter, mountain lions over the counter, antelopes over the counter. You know, the deer is a draw. All deer is a draw in the state of Colorado. And we make that as simple as we can. There's so many variables that come into play. And I never want to discourage anybody. I think everybody should go out elk hunting. I think it's awesome. Oh, yeah. But realistically, to be successful on public land, people need to realize that, you know, they've really got to put in their research. They've got to be willing to get away from the crowds to be successful. Never overlook talking to game wardens or biologists. You know, if it's an area that you haven't been to, those guys are paid by hunters. Most of them are great guys. Now, mm -hmm. like anything, there's always the exception to the rule. But I can tell you that most of the game wardens and wildlife biologists that I've talked to were super sources of information. Like, mm -hmm. hey, this is what I'm thinking of doing. How do guys do in this area? Well, you know, when I'm checking guys or checking license, seems like a lot of guys are always seeing elk in this area. You may want to look into this area or talking to a biologist when they do population counts. Hey, this is an area that's really good. So a lot of people overlook you know, go into those resources and they're paid by hunters. So most of the time, right. they're going to be super helpful guys. Hey guys, welcome to Throwback Thursdays. I've gone through my library and started picking out some of the most popular podcasts over the last 12, 14 years or whatever, how long it's been, I've forgotten now uh, that I've been doing this and um, we've re-edited them and put them out there for you guys to uh to check out uh, a lot of good information there so forgive me some of them might be a little bit poor quality you know depending on when it was recorded but uh throwback thursday is brought to you by howlforwildlife.org howl for wildlife was designed to give the hunter and angler a fast acting tool to combat anti-hunting and fishing bills and initiatives howl has given us sportsmen and women not only the ability to act fast but to amplify our voices and to be heard on issues concerning wildlife management how supports science-based wildlife management and will continue to fight any initiative that goes against sound management so become a member at howlforwildlife.org thank you let's jump into this episode today we're going to talk a little bit about hunting in colorado uh, and specifically elk hunting but we might touch on a little bit of deer hunting stuff i got with me on the phone uh no other than fred eichler and if you haven't been uh living underneath a rock you probably know who he is how you doing today fred <laughs> i'm doing great john how are you good i can't complain just got back from california was uh in wine country with my wife on our 10-year anniversary it's kind of our happy place we try to go as often as possible and uh <laughs> Nice, nice. I just got back from hunting, so. <laughs> yeah, you were in Arizona, right? On an, yeah, yeah, I did. We started out in Texas and then uh, then went to Arizona. Had an absolute blast. Did you guys end up scoring javelina here? You know what we did? We uh, we uh, all three got javelina with our bows on public land, and uh, then we also shot some rabbits on public land. And uh, I called in uh, four coyotes and uh, shot a couple coyotes. So that was pretty awesome too. Awesome. Yeah, it's always uh, uh, always fun when you got a little mixed bag going on. Oh yeah, it was great. I had the family with me too, so between me and and my wife and the kids, they had an absolute blast. Nice. Yeah, we were we just got back from doing a bunch of uh, javelina hunts. Actually, you and I talked about that yeah. when we ran into each other. Yeah. So, 
I got you on today to talk, you know, specifically about Colorado hunting. I'm trying to do a series right now of hunting specific states and some of the differences in, in, involved in hunting these states and so on and so forth. Um, but before we jump into those questions, why don't you give us a little bit of rundown about yourself and what you do and how you got into hunting? No sweat. Well, like a lot of people, you know, I started out with my dad uh, being a passionate hunter. So he took me from, you know, when I was knee high to a grasshopper. So I started hunting with my dad and then uh, just continued to pursue my passion my whole my whole life. I've been running an outfitting business, guiding antelope. Uh, right now we guide uh, antelope, whitetail, mule deer, elk, bear, mountain lion, and turkey. And uh, I'm permitted on 1.3 million acres of wilderness area. Wow. Um, you know, state land basically. And then, uh, I also hunt a lot of private ranches, including our ranch as well. So, uh, I do uh, quite a bit of elk hunting last year. I think our clients uh, ended up with 43 elk, uh, if I'm not mistaken, something wow. like that. So, yeah, so we, uh, we do a lot of elk hunting, passionate about it. So it's the whole family, my wife, me, the boys, all nine yards. So, but yeah, I love pretty much if it's, if it's in season, I'm, I'm ready to chase it, man. Squirrels, rabbits, doesn't matter to me. I love it all. Yeah. I'm the same way. I mean, there's certain things that I love more than others, obviously, but I just love to hunt. So if it's, uh, if it's legal, I'm there, you know, <laughs> I love it. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, elk hunting in, in logistics as far as, well, actually, you know what, before we get into that, let's talk about tags. So in Colorado, you have, uh, your limited entry or your draw tag. And then you have over-the-counter, and there's different seasons. And to me, it's a little confusing because you got your first choice, which is weighted with your preference points, and then second choice, third choice, or, and so on, or second all the way to fourth choice. And the second through fourth choice don't have <laughs> points. So I, I, I don't like I, explain to me the situation. So it, it is it's very confusing and it's sad. But you know, anymore you almost have to be a an attorney to get through the regulations anymore. And in almost all the states, it's horrible that you know how difficult it's gotten to to really understand you know the different the different state stuff. But I will tell you that uh, I like my area in Southern Colorado because it's over the counter for archery. So that makes it really nice. And we don't really have to deal with a whole lot of the preference point situations. Our bears over the counter, turkeys over the counter, mountain lions over the counter, antelopes over the counter. You know, the deer is a draw. All deer is a draw in the state of Colorado. And we make that as simple as we can. You know, we tell guys, hey, you know, we look at the percentages and we can say, hey, you're going to draw this unit that we hunt, you know, with one preference point or no preference points. You know, or sometimes we get landowner tags. So we can tell guys, hey, if we draw a landowner tag, we can transfer the landowner tag to you, you know, and then you have a deer tag, even if you, you know, didn't draw one. So, right. you know, that it, it can get confusing with preference points, weighted preference points. You know, it, to me, a lot of that stuff kind of takes away from the whole, you know, the whole fun. And, and it is a big game. You know, I've even drawn tags in Colorado uh, that I wanted to bow hunt. But it was actually the odds of drawing that tag. For example, Rocky Mountain Goat, mm -hmm. uh, the first goat I shot in Colorado. When I looked at the percentages and the odds, I was better off applying for a rifle tag, hunting in a rifle season, but taking my bow and arrow. So, right. you know, I shot I shot a goat with my, you know, with my recurve during a rifle season. So, you know, there's a lot to it. And uh, Colorado does post up, 
you know, percentages, odds of drawing and things like that. So for somebody willing to put in the research, they can certainly look a lot of that stuff up. Oh, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about logistics. If a guy wanted to come out there, wanted to give it a shot on his own uh, or her own, what, you know, what are some of the things you should expect in Southern Colorado to, you know, come on an elk hunt, let's say, during the archery season? Right. Now, I've guided the whole state and, you know, all over in different areas. But one thing I want to point out, whether you're hunting Colorado, Wyoming, you know what I mean? You know, Idaho, Montana, most states release, you know, their success percentages. You can, you know, see that during the archery season last year, we were, you know, and most of the Western states range between 12 and 15 percent. Um, you're probably aware of that, but that's what yeah. they post as, you know, hey, our success rate is 12 to 15 percent. So a lot of guys I know look at that and go, oh, man, that's awesome. You know, I've got a pretty good chance of shooting one. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem with that is, is it's not really a super, super honest way to do it. Some of the things that you don't know in those statistics, for example, are, let's say, uh, oh, I think it was 2015 was the last time I really broke it down. I think the success rate for archery was 12%. But what they don't tell you is that includes guided hunts, mm. limited draw hunts, oh, well. private land hunts. <laughs> so, you know, so, so if you take that 12% success rate in archery and you go, okay, Let's take out all the people that, you know, paid money for guided hunters that, you know, most guided hunts have, you know, a lot higher success rate. Let's take out all the private land hunts that usually have a higher success rate. And let's take out the limited draw hunts that may have taken a bow hunter 20 years to draw. Mm -hmm. And he's going into an area that's 100% success rate. And let's look at the actual percentage of success on public land. I would tell you it is probably around 2 to 4%. Wow. So I, I first like to tell people realistically, you know what I mean, what, what the odds are, you know what I mean, when they go out on, on public land. Now, don't get me long, wrong. Can you be successful on public land? Sure you can. And just like at home, you know, I tell guys, hey, are you the guy around your buddies that usually kills? They're like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, we all have a group of hunting friends usually that we hang out with. And, you know, when I managed an archery shop in Fort Collins, Colorado, you know, we always knew that. You know, this guy, for example, man, old Steve was going to shoot his elk every single year on public land. Right. Old Marty, he goes every year, but he never shoots one. So, so, you know, but it was the old, you know, it's the old 10% of the uh, hunters take 90% of the game rule. So if you're willing to be that guy that, you know, does everything he can to get in shape, does some research, doesn't mind getting away from the crowds then you increase your odds exponentially. I offended actually a guy on the phone the other day that he called me and this was about a guided hunt. And oh, he said, Hey Fred, you know, what are my, what are my chances of killing a bull? Mm-hmm. And I said, man, that's a great question. I said, uh, what do you weigh? How tall are you? How do you shoot? What kind of shape are you in overall? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you handle, how do, how do you handle yourself at high altitudes? <laughs> you know, and he, he's like, whoa, whoa, what? No, I, I just mean my, my odds of getting a bull if I go on a guided hunt with you. And I said, well, if you tell me you're not a good shot at <laughs> 20 yeah. or 30 yards, if you tell me you're 5'2 and 400 pounds, if you tell me that, you know, you live in Michigan or Georgia and you've never been, you know, up to 9,000 to 11,000 feet, then I'm going to tell you it's going to be a little more of a struggle for you than a guy that calls me up and says, hey, Fred, uh, 
know, maybe I'm 55 or 60 years old, but I'm in good shape. I can walk a few miles and I, you know, I'm confident with my equipment out to 30 or 35 yards. You know, so there's so many variables that come into play and I never Mm -hmm. want to discourage anybody. I think everybody should go out elk hunting. I think it's awesome. But realistically, to be successful on public land, people need to realize that, you know, they've really got to put in the research. They've got to be willing to get away from the crowds to be successful. Yeah, no, for sure. I I think um, more and more people are starting to catch on to that, especially that's one of the few few benefits to social media that I I see that, you know, there's been a big movement, especially with the fitness stuff and, and people knowing Hey, it's not just, you know, go out there and, and do research, but it's go out there, do research, get in shape, practice shooting, you know, and just all these things that are the pieces to success, not just the guy who knows where to go. Exactly. You know, we harvest, you know, <laughs> heck, my first, I don't even know, 12 the 16 animals were taken on public land on, you know, elk hunting. And I still harvest uh, animals on public land and I still guide clients that are successful on public land. But, you know, to me, a lot of it has to do with, you know, getting away from the crowds, you know, GPSs are great, but I still find that on public land, most guys don't go over two miles from a trailhead. They just right. don't, which is fine. You know what I mean? If you want to hide close to a trailhead, there are some places that, you know, you can be close to it and still harvest an elk. But, I think there's a lot more success for those guys that, that get farther in and knowing the area that you're at too. You know, I tell guys, you know, just like anywhere, you know, looking at a map is one thing, you know, actually being there on the ground and, and looking at it is another, mm-hmm. if you're going to invest, you know, the money to go on a, even a public land elk hunt, you're still going to have quite a bit of money into it. You know, non-resident oh, yeah. tags, travel, gas, food, hotels, the whole nine yards. You know, if you plan on going out, to Colorado or Montana or Idaho or wherever you choose to go, New Mexico, Arizona, make sure you do a little bit of research. It may be worth to increase your odds of going out in the summer, making that trip, taking a few days, hiking into the area that you found or, or you're looking at and taking a look, you know, that, that hands-on experience is huge. Find yeah. areas that have a bunch of rubs in them. There might be elk there in the summer, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be there in the fall. Right. So I tell guys, look for look for a sign that tells you that the elk there are are there during the rut. Look for a bunch of rubs. Look for old wallows. If you're in dry country, I am a huge fan of hunting water. You know, oh, tree yeah. stands. A lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys come from out east, and I'm like, man, you know, do not overlook hiking a tree stand into an area. Uh, whitetails are getting pretty smart and looking up a lot. But elk still aren't. They're not used to being hunted from above by people. So, you know, putting a tree stand over an active trail, a wallow, and especially water sources in dry country. Uh, You know, I've shot elk over water holes on public Mm -hmm. land that were awesome. They may have been a hike to get into, but there were areas that I had set up a trail camera. I'd gone in and looked at the sign around the water hole and decided, man, I'm going to put my time in here. and, And, yeah, I may only, you know, get one shot in five days. But if I sit here for five days patiently from dawn till dark, mm-hmm. I'm going to get a shot at an elk. And really, that's what it takes. It takes kind of a hardcore perspective on public land, usually, uh, to be successful. And one thing I'll tell you that cracks me up, I was actually talking to a buddy of mine, Steve, uh, here in Trinidad, Colorado, about it just the other day. Mm-hmm. We were talking about hunting public land. His son just called in a beautiful bull for a buddy last year on public land. And, and Steve, Steve and me were talking about how it's funny. 
Colorado just gets tons of people that come in, you know, non-residents that come in to, to hunt public land. And they come in that first and second week. It's packed. And then the some of the arguably best times to hunt, which is the last week, a lot of the a lot of the state land and national forests are almost empty. But it's because guys can't break that whitetail mentality of, ooh, we gotta be out there that first week, man. Right. Gotta be out there that you know, that opening day. When realistically, if you want to hunt the rut, you know, for elk, you know, being out there that last week is usually the best week to be in the woods. So I tell guys, you know, yeah, there's certainly a ton of advantage to being out there first week, but don't overlook some of the best times to hunt elk, which is that last week. And if you don't know a lot about elk, elk sign, then that last week of season, if the elk are bugling, you can find them. So, yep. you know, it's, it's, it's funny to me, you know, talking to whitetail hunters sometimes or, or watching whitetail hunters come out and try and elk hunt, you know, they may not realize that, you know, elk may travel in a huge herd. There may be 40, 40 elk in a herd and they'll find a trail and go, oh man, this looks amazing. Look at all the tracks on this trail. <laughs> and I'll say, well, look at all those tracks. Which way are they going? Well, they're all going one way. Well, yeah, that means they went through here one time. And yep. they, they may not be back through here for a while. You know, you yeah. can look for things like tracks going both ways and try and find those, you know, those meadows that they're feeding on. So there's, you know how it is. I don't mean to bore you and be long. No, no, not at all. This there. is, you know, these are things that people don't think about. Like you just said right. something about the tracks. How many guys have, have made that mistake out in the field? Back? Oh my God, look how many tracks. And you, like you said, they're all going in the same direction. That means yep. <laughs> they, they came through here. That's all it means. Right. It doesn't mean that they exactly. come through here every day. Yeah, now, you might sit there 10 days and not see a yeah. thing. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I love it. And it, it's like a chess game to me. Part of it's trying to figure out, you know, where to go. You know, even finding those escape routes. You know, uh, I've had great success on public land in Colorado by hiking further than most people and and getting next to private land. Like you can even look at a topo map and, and some of the some of the maps and go, oh man, look at this. You know, there's a big private ranch over here. You know, on the other side of this national forest, and I know what's going to happen when all these guys come into this national forest, this public land. A lot of those elk are going to push onto that private land. Mm-hmm. Let me go farther in, find the trails that are going into that public, you know, that, that private land, you know, that private ranch. And I'm going to hunt those trails because I know those elk are going to be doing that. And mm-hmm. we literally, man, we used to have, it was awesome. It was there in Northwestern Colorado, but literally we would see a hundred, 150 elk sometimes in a day. And they would be leaving the national forest because busloads, I mean, just, Trucks and trucks and trucks, truckloads of people would show up for the first week of elk season. And that was a great spot for us to be that first couple of days because they would push all the elk right past us. Right. So, you know, that was a, you know, there's so many little things that if guys put in the effort, I also tell guys never overlook talking to game wardens or biologists. You know, if it's an area that you haven't been to, those guys are paid by hunters. Most of them are great guys. Now, mm-hmm. like anything, there's always the exception to the rule. But I can tell you that most of the game wardens and wildlife biologists that I've talked to were super sources of information. Like, mm-hmm. hey, this is what I'm thinking of doing. How do guys do in this area? Well, you know, Fred, you know, when I'm checking guys or checking license, it seems like a lot of guys are always seeing elk in this area. You may want to look into this area. Or 
talking to a biologist when they do population counts. Hey, this is an area that's really good. So a lot of people overlook, you know, going to those resources and they're paid by hunters. So most of the time right. they're going to be super helpful guys. So it's really a, a you know, it's another good tip uh, for hunting public land. Yeah. I found that to be true for, for a long time, but uh, lately, especially here in Arizona, like I'm going to give a little quick story actually. So this past uh, season, I called the fish and game office, regional office for uh, Flagstaff. And um, I asked for the, you know, biologist or the game warden for a specific unit and they wouldn't give it to me. Yep. Uh, and they wouldn't give me their information and I, they said, what? she said, why do you want to, why do you want to talk to him? I said, well, I, I, you know, I want to pick his brain a little bit, ask him a little bit about, uh, you know, elk behavior this time of year. And cause it was a late season hunt and you know, uh, right. they don't have time for those things. And I was like, what? Oh, wow. I would have said, I pay his salary. Let me, uh, let me just write a letter to his supervisor. And I, I literally that. wanted to say that, but I was like, you know what? I, <laughs> and, and I never had, and, and it, you know, it's crazy. Cause like, I never really had that much opposition, uh, you know, or, or that hard of a time yeah. getting information in, in that manner. Like I, you know, called out of state all the time and asked to speak to, a, you know, the biologist. And I always ask the right questions. You, if you're asking, where do I go hunt? You're, you're not going to get that answer. And you, I mean, you might, but they don't like to get that answer. You're going to get the same answer that he gave to the other 10 guys that called and asked that question. For me, I always ask, you know, what kind of stuff do they like to eat this time of year? You know, what are their behavior? What's their behavior? You know, what are they looking for for cover? And I ask those questions and I get those questions that I go to the map and I, I find the answers within, you know, I find work to go hunt with within the answers he gave me. And that's the way I've always done it. It always worked out well for me, but like lately, the last few times that I've tried to get information, I've gotten similar answers. Like I just got from this, this one lady that answered the phone and I was just like, "Whoa!" I mean, luckily wow, that would be dis- that would that would be discouraging. I, I think I would uh, I think yeah. I probably would would, would uh, handle that in a certain way because you know there's some great men and women out there that are not only biologists but game wardens. And most of, m- most of my experiences, fortunately, have been very good. But I can tell you that if a if a if a game warden or a biologist said I don't have time to talk to you, then I would probably go to a supervisor, write a letter, and, and you know, and be like, "Come on, you know, it's it's the." Uh, it's the hunters and, and fishermen of the state that are paying that salary. So yeah. uh, why don't we get somebody on the phone that's willing to talk to me? And uh, yeah, no, I, 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 think, I, I think that's the way. I, it's weird because I, I thank God I have a I have a lot of friends who who uh, work for the fishing game. I just pretty much bypass her and call up one of my buddies that I didn't want to bother, and you know, and he ended up helping me. So, but it was like, you know, really, but yeah. Um, I did want to back up a little bit and add something when you had mentioned about um, tree stand hunting. And one of the things that I've always done is I've used a tree stand as my my resting or my backup. You know, you go hard for a day or two and you want a little break not having to climb up the hill or whatever, um, or you don't want to chase bugles go sit in a tree stand for a little bit. So I, every time I draw an elk tag here in home state, I don't do it out of state so much, but in my home state, if I draw an elk tag here in Arizona, I'll always have one or two tree stand setups like over a wallow or a water hole or whatever. And I might sit there midday instead of going back to camp and 
you know, napping, I'll go, <laughs> I'll go take a nap up in a tree stand, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, cause you know, they tend to well, hit more midday anyway. And it just gives me a nice break in between. So I'm not having to hike, you know, all day long every day. Oh yeah. And percentage wise, you're going to do better. Like, you know, I, you know, as an outfitter, I'm always looking at percentages. How can I get the most guys, you know what I mean? An opportunity and now, right. Well, I tell guys all the time, and this holds true with almost every guide and outfitter I've ever talked to for elk, especially I tell, I'll have clients call and say, man, I want to chase bugling bulls. And I'll say, no problem. If that's mm-hmm. what you want to do, if that's an elk hunt to you, then we will get on the ground. I will call elk for you and we will have fun. But let me just share this with you. For every 10 elk we call into bow range, and let's say bow range is 35 yards. Okay. For every 10 elk we call into 35 yards, we kill one of them. Wow. Because the other nine times you get winded, you get spotted trying to draw your bow. You get spotted, you know what I mean? You know, you, you know, you get heard, you know what I mean? Well, you know, when an animal comes into a call, I tell guys, every single sense is absolutely wired. They're coming in to either fight or they're coming in to have sex. So, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, they're trying to smell you, see you and hear you. So every sense is alert. So on average, and this is, like I said, this is true with multiple elk guides, outfitters that I've talked to with elk, one out of 10. Now, here's the difference. For every 10 elk that walk into range of one of my clients that's sitting in a water hole on, mm-hmm. in, a, in a tree stand over a trail or even agriculture, we kill 7 out of 10. Now, the difference is that elk's calm. He's mellow. Odds are he's not going to catch you if you're in a ground blind or a tree stand or, you know what I mean, even set up in a brush tin chair along a trail, you know, you're going to get the shot. Yeah. And it's not trying to wind you. It's doing its normal thing. So, you know, I tell guys percentage wise, you know, I tell guys, do you want to, do you want to do this or do you want to do this? Now I love it all. And me and my wife, you know, man, we've, you know, I call, call in elk to, you know, four yards for clients every year with some of our best experiences and, and some of the most exciting ones are calling elk in for guys. But percentage wise, we kill more with guys sitting over water holes, wallows, tree stands over, you know, active trails, and things like that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think as an outfitter, when you get guys, especially coming from the East Coast, the tree stand thing is familiar to them. So right. Your, your exactly. percentage is going to go They're up. They're used to that. They're not going to come unglued. You know, you got this 900-pound animal charging in, you know, blowing snot out of his nose, looking for a fight, you know, yeah. at, at 30 <laughs> yards on the ground. It, you know, if you're not used to it, 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 it can get a little hairy. Um, oh, for sure. Guys don't set up in the right spot or in the yeah. shade They're in the sun, you know, you know, or they back themselves into so much brush they can't even draw. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're hundred percent right. A lot of that has to do with where the majority of, of the elk hunters, you know what I mean? Or the guys that I take as an outfitter come from. And a lot of that is, is guys from out East that are used to, you know, being in a tree stand or in a blind. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you put them in that element and they're killers, you know, they, they're just, you it's, got it. you're, it's you're automatic right. to them, you know? And, uh, I, I guess, yeah, you got to play to your strengths and, you know, some guys, they come out, they have that's an like, idea. Yeah. They, that's they like me. I was thinking of an, I was thinking of an awesome. analogy. I'm, I'm, I'm way better out in the woods than I am in a math test. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> you and me both. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, 
it's just putting people in the in the best position to to have the highest success. And I know a lot of guys come out, they have it in their head, oh, they want, you know, they have a romantic view of what elk hunting is supposed to be. And, you know, they want the the call and bull, they want the uh, you know the excitement of that that it, and and that's and that's all fine too, but you gotta understand that with that comes drawbacks and with that comes, you know, added pressure and added, you know, things that you're not used to and so on and so forth. But. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. And that's what I tell guys. It's like, you know, Hey, here's, here's what I you know. Here's, here's what I think is the best percentages of you being able to harvest an elk. Um, you know, if the hunt is, isn't going to be made for you unless you're hearing a screaming bull, but don't be afraid when you're hunting public land to uh, hunt them like guys are, are used to hunting them. And that's why I tell guys, you know, Hey, you're used to hunting in a tree stand, you know, here's what I look for when I'm looking for an active trail on public land, you know, those escape routes, you know, and I mean, get back in that dark timber where they're going to start taking cover. Look at this kind of stuff, active wallows, water holes, and wait them out because percentage wise, you're probably going to do better than that guy that's, uh, that's running all over the place. Absolutely. So when you're looking for an area to hunt, you've never been there before and you're going to go into a new area to hunt. Give me your game plan. What's your starting point? What are some of the things you look for? How do you get to that point? You know, you talked about yeah, using a on, on, biologist yeah, on or public game land. Yeah, on public land, that's exactly right. I, I, you know, a lot of times I'll start those conversations off with a with a biologist or a game warden, and I'll get maps and look at it and start breaking it down. Like, okay, is this a wet area or a dry area? If it's a wet area, then I'll usually just you know cancel off the you know, hunt water. If it's a dry area like Arizona, New Mexico, parts of Colorado, depending on where you're at, then I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to try and mark and look at any water sources because that, you know, everything has to drink, you know, and everything has to eat. So the other thing I'm looking for is food sources too. So the other thing I look at is where does it border public land? And if it borders, of course, a subdivision, well, that doesn't interest me at all. However, if it borders a big private ranch that may be growing, agriculture and you can look at a satellite map and go "Ooh, look at those bright green alfalfa fields or winter wheat fields or oat fields i know the elk are going in there and feeding and because it's a large piece of private land i know when they get pressure in the public land they're going to be flooding right out towards that mm-hmm. so even if the closest access is a long ways from that private land i'm usually going to look at a place to cut those elk off when they're heading to that you know, of course, natural funnels, breaks, things like that I'm looking for. And I'm also looking for where those animals are rubbing trees. You know, where are they spending a lot of that time? You know, if I'm doing some summer scouting, where are they rubbing? You know what I mean? If, if I, I get into an area that it may have elk every time I take a step, I'm blowing elk out. But if it's June, that doesn't tell me they're going to be there in three months. And elk can move country quite a bit. Oh, yeah. So I'm looking for those telltale old wallows. I'm looking for you know, those rubs where they've just, they're tearing up the trees during the rut. Well, that tells me those elk are going to be there. So, you know, it's a lot of things like that that I'm looking for that tells me them, and this is a location that I'm going to want to be. And I also look for places that are off the beaten path. You know, hunters generally tend to follow main structures. I used to laugh when I, when I was hunting public land, because I could go, okay, well, pretty much guaranteed somebody's going to walk up this creek, and then they're going to walk back down the creek. Somebody's mm-hmm. going to walk on this ridge, they're going to walk out and they're going to walk back down that ridge, you know, stuff that's super easy. Even with GPS, a lot of guys still are, are, are kind of nervous about just getting into that dark timber or just going a long ways. So 
learning orientation, knowing how to read a map, learning how to read topo lines and, and figure out, you know, what the terrain looks like by, by looking at a topo map, how steep it is, where the meadows are, things like that. Well, that's that's huge and super advantageous when it comes to being successful on public land. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. So do you have um, any, like, tricks that during the rut, that you would say, I don't know. Like, what's decoys. your goal? decoy? Yeah, <laughs> man, decoys. I, I tell you, you know, look at. I'll give you the example of turkeys. I, you know, I'm older than you. I remember when the first decoy, turkey decoy, ever hit the market. Nobody mm-hmm. used them. You know what I mean? Now, granted, I'm sure some, you know, early man, you know what I mean, rigged them up. But you know, it, it's just been in the last few years that people are even using the fanning. You know what I mean? You haven't, you never heard about that before, where guys were right. holding the fan and crawling across the meadow. But when decoys first came out, man, it didn't even have to look at all like a decoy. I mean, it just looked kind of like a hen, and you know, those plastic, you know, fold up ones that you'd crunch in your pack and then pop out and kind of, you know roll it back into the position of a of a turkey and stick it on a wooden stake out there. Gobblers would run right up to it, knock it over, and we were having a field day. Well, yep. turkeys have gotten educated now. Now it's got to be a super good-looking, realistic Montana decoy or something similar. You know, there's all kinds of, you know, great decoys out there. You know, the David Smiths or the Avian Xs, you know, it's got to look exactly like a turkey to get a reaction, especially in areas that are hard-pressured. But how many turkey hunters do you know now that would go out without a turkey decoy? Yeah. Not serious. very many, right? Most guys take them out, especially bow hunters. Well, yeah. elk are still totally naive to decoys. So I have had some of my best experiences, some of my most exciting experiences using a decoy. You know, having elk run up to that decoy and, and, and thinking it's a cow. And it's really helped me out because instead of circling, you know, they hear a uh, you know, an elk calling, especially in more open country where the elk can see, man, mm-hmm. they know they should be seeing an elk. <laughs> you know, they hear, right. they hear that, they hear that cow elk call. They're looking like, nah, nah, I don't see it. I should be able to see it. But if they see a decoy that looks real and I use, you know, a Montana decoy, I, I worked with those guys a lot. When they first came out, they had this, just the stakes that you pounded right. into the ground. And man, I had so much trouble with them, John. I, Me too. Man, I, you know, I call them up. I'm like, guys, seriously, what part of the Rocky Mountains do you not get? It's rocky in the mountains. You can't get those things to stick in right. in half the places I elk hunt. And if they do stick in, I get them in two inches and they fall over. And I got an elk coming in and my decoy just fell down. So, you know, it was horrible. But, yep. you know, by tying it up in the trees, you know what I mean? Oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? You can set it up almost anywhere, set it up in seconds. But on public land, I've had some super successful hunts because I had a decoy in conjunction with a call, you know, and it just gives them not only the visual, like, oh, yeah, confirmation, there's an elk, but the audio confirmation when I'm softly calling or breaking a few sticks softly, that Mm -hmm. is legit. So I do a lot of little things that I think make a big difference. Conquest scent, you know what I mean? You know, I I don't think you can ever totally eliminate human scent, but can you use scent that smells like an elk to help fool an elk or keep them standing there for another couple seconds to get the shot? hundred percent. I do. Do I think a decoy has saved me, you know, multiple times and helped us harvest more elk? A hundred percent. I do. Uh, do I think doing things like snapping small twigs or, you know, taking a stick and knock it into a, you know, a log, uh, cause elk are loud. They're noisy. 
You got a herd yeah. of elk walking through the woods. They make noise. You know, I, I've seen guys that, you know, hid and, and, and called and they're just dead quiet except for that call. Well, that's not realistic either. You know, how often is there one cow standing in the thick brush, not moving at all, calling? No, <laughs> it's not, it doesn't, happen. doesn't happen very much. So, you know, I'll run multiple calls at the same time. You know what I mean? I'm going to high pitch, low pitch. You know, I'm going to switch from, you know, to be different calls, maybe be the same manufacturer. I may go from a diaphragm to a, you know what I mean? To a blow call, you know what I mean? Or a bite call. I'm going to rotate calls so I could sound like more than one. And I'm going to make some noises while I'm doing it, breaking some twigs, hitting, you know, hitting logs. So it sounds like a hoof hitting a log as it's stepping over. I get excited, John. I start talking a lot, but to me, it's, it's a, those tiny little things oh, yeah. that make all the difference in the world. And it may not just be one tiny thing. It may be eight tiny things. You know what I mean? Like I set the decoy up in a position where the elk can see it, you know, and then he's tempted not to circle, but come straight in. I'm breaking mm-hmm. a few twigs. So I sound realistic. I'm using multiple calls. So I sound like more than one elk. I mean, just that there's three different things. I've got the sun in my back. You know what I mean? So as it's coming up, it's in the elk's eyes, not in my eyes. You know, there's four things. So it's a whole bunch of tiny little things that increase those odds exponentially. Absolutely. I um I couldn't agree with you more on that stuff. I I, I tell people all the time, I say, success is in the details. It's all the little little things that make usually make the difference. Hundred percent. And even patience. My wife kills an elk every year, but she's patient too. My wife will go, Okay, this is a good spot. And I'm going to have faith, you know, and that's, you know, that's a lot of it too. You know what I mean? Just, you know, how many times have you, have you moved spots and gone, oh man, I just got to see what's over the next ridge or I've got to go here. Man, my wife kills the heck out of him because she'll pick a spot and go, yep, this is it. Now it may take three or four days, but she'll sit there when the elk comes in, she's ready. Whack. So. Yep. That, that's something I've never learned to be. I'm not patient. <laughs> I am not a patient that's, person. That's a lot of guys. Man. That's a lot of guys. You know, I'm, I'm getting worse and worse too. Usually when you get older, you get more patient, but I'm getting less patient. Uh, I don't know. My wife would tell you, I can't stand in the line, man. I'm terrible. I'll, I'll leave a restaurant if they tell me, yeah, it's going to be a three-minute wait. I'm like, oh, three minutes? That's yeah. ridiculous. But if you tell me, <laughs> you know, if I see a water hole and I go, oh, man, you know, they're hitting this, you know, whether I'm looking at a trail camera or whether I'm just reading the sign and I'm going, man, they're coming in here. It looks like every other day or every three days. Man, I'm going to put in dawn till dark sitting there waiting to get that one shot. I can do that. No problem. <laughs> yeah. I guess it depends on what you're waiting on. Yeah, yeah, I, that's true. Because I, there's been plenty of times where I could sit in a tree stand for, you know, 12 hours and do it five days in a row or whatever. It, 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 yeah, it just depends on the situation. If you know, like, if you got that feeling or you know just from, like, trail camera or whatever that you got a really good opportunity, if you stick it out, I can do it. But then. Oh, yeah. And I'm the eternal optimist too. Yeah. I, I, my, I, I've driven cameramen crazy because I'm one of those guys. If I sit all day, let's say I, let's say I choose to, let's say I'm not calling elk. Um, although I love doing that too, but let's say I, I, I choose a water hole. If I sit all day, 12 hours, and don't see a thing. I'm even more excited to get in there the next day. And my cameraman's like, dude, we didn't see anything yesterday. I'm like, I know. What are the odds we're going to sit there all day today and not see anything? <laughs> right. I'm like, we just increased <laughs> our odds, man. This is awesome. So, yeah. you know, trail cameras are up to and, you know, uh, you know, in places where they're legal, 
man, trail cameras, they really are. I mean, you know, Stealth Cab advertises that it's their 24-7 scouting system. And I'm like, it's true. It's like having somebody in the field 24-7. Right. You know, and with some of the with with some of the advancements in trail cameras, you know, it's it's awesome. You can set up video and, and audio. You can hear, you know, you may get a picture of one elk, but you can hear an elk bugling in the background on the video. So I love using trail cameras. I love setting them up on public land. You know, it gives me a good idea of what's going on. So, you know, that's another thing I definitely uh, I definitely take advantage of. Well, cool. Uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you to share with us your uh, most outrageous hunt, your most memorable hunt, maybe something that uh, changed the way you hunt today or just an all-around, you know, <laughs> nail-biter. Well, I'll tell you one that's actually – it's 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 not mine. It's our boys. We had uh, – you know, the, the two oldest were sitting in a, in a ground blind and they had learned over the years and they were younger too. You know what I mean? That, you know, sitting, sitting in water, sitting in a tree stand was their best bet. But, uh, we had, uh, Seth and Jeb sitting in a ground blind over a water hole and, uh, I had them blind up close, only 15 to what, honey, 15 to 18 yards tops. 10, 10 to 15. 10 to 15 yards. I said pretty close, but we had a mare step blind brushed next to this little water you know, literally, literally it was a cattle tank, but the elk were utilizing it and, you know, set the boys in there. And basically the middle son was going to video the oldest trying to harvest an elk. Well, what happens, you know, is, you know, they, they see some elk coming and then they hear an elk bugle and they're coming right to the tank. And mm-hmm. unlike me, the oldest was like, Oh man, you know, I hear a bull at the back of the group. I'm going to wait. I would have shot the first cow, but he's like, man, I hear a bull bugle. I'm going to wait. So this big seven by seven walks right up, sticks his head in the tank, you know, 12 to 15 yards away from him. Whack. He shoots it. First elk he's ever killed. Beautiful seven by seven. It's like a 320, 330 bull. So here's where I learned a lot and it cracked me up. So we had told him, don't move. If you shoot something, don't get out of the blind, stay put, don't do anything. So they just shot this big seven by seven. Now I would have jumped right out of the blind. Woohoo! You know what I mean? I got a bull. Right. This is awesome. And I'd run everything out of the valley. But because we told them to sit tight, they sat in the blind. They just texted mom to say, you know what I mean? Just shot us. Just shot a bull. We're so excited. So awesome. You know, here's two brothers. They're hanging out. So because they're sitting there, they don't spook everything out. This herd comes down. Same, I think it's probably the same group out comes back to the water hole. They have no idea what's going on. A bow went off, the bull ran off, but they don't get it. They right. come back. So the middle son says, "Like, give me your bow." He didn't even have his bow in the blind. He grabs his brother's bow that's really too long for him. His brother grabs a little video camera because they're videoing each other. Cow steps up 15 yards. He draws back, floop, shoots his cow out. She runs out, drops in the meadow. So now. <laughs> They are jacked. So now, again, I would have jumped out. I would have never seen anything else because I'd have been like, woohoo, you know, run up to my out. But we told them to stay put. So they sit and put, they're sitting still in the blind, not making a sound, except for doing a little quiet high five and they're all excited. They look up, here a 175 inch mule deer comes walking off the ridge, coming right to the water. The oldest one goes, hey, give me my bow back. I've got a deer tag. He takes his Hoyt bow back from his brother. <laughs> this big mule deer walks in, turns broadside. He draws back and shoots it. So Jeez. in literally an hour, they shot two Pope and Young animals 
And three animals total, two of them are Pope and Young. A trophy 7x7 seven seven bull elk, 170-plus inch mule deer, and a cow elk. That's so, a hell, hell I love of a day of hunting. <laughs> oh, yeah. To me, I just crack up because I'm like, I would have never had a day that good because once I shot the first one, I'd have been like, whoa. Right. I'd have been out of there, and I'd have run everything out of the valley. But so uh, so that's that's kind of a cool one, and, and it's kind of neat to, you know, it's, it's just one of those once-in-a-million deals, and it was it was pretty cool. Awesome. Well, cool. I want to thank you for coming on and uh, sharing your knowledge with us and, uh, you know, taking the time. Um, My pleasure, John. It's great talking to you, man. Thanks for what you're doing and and keep preaching the word, buddy. Keep getting people excited about hunting and and keep getting out there and doing it yourself. I love it. Will do. And uh, why don't you give us a little uh, rundown of where uh, people could find you and uh, follow you. No sweat, man. I have a fan page on Facebook and we put a little bit of everything, just our lifestyle. You know what I mean? Whether we're farming, ranching, guiding hunters, um, you know, taking the kids out hunting, kind of whatever we're doing. We're also, uh, they can find us on YouTube, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and, uh, the, uh, our page for our outfitting business is fulldrawoutfitters at gmail.com. Sweet. So, well, thank you again. Yeah, and, uh, We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon, and hopefully we'll get to do some hunting one of these days. Next time you come that back out to great, Arizona, we'll, uh, we'll have to run around a little bit and do some coyote calling. I'm in. Yeah, I had a blast over there. It was a good time. <laughs> All right. Take it easy. All right, John. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.